0: Amen. Well, welcome this evening. We're excited to be able to introduce our speaker this evening, Father Raphael Mary, um, a Dominican priest who's studying over here at Notre Dame for his doctorate in the area, and a huge part of the community called Courage, which we'll hear about this evening. Um, Yeah, so without further ado,
1: here's Father Raphael Mary.
2: Is the microphone on? I guess it is. Well, hello, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Um, I want to start with a reading from, uh, from the scriptures. This is from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and pleasing, and perfect. Let's see what I can do here to uh, be able to actually read this from 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 standing at this podium. So. <laughs> My name is Father Raphael Mary. Uh, I'm a priest and a friar of the Dominican Order. I'm currently studying for my doctorate over at Notre Dame. And uh, I'm really happy to be here uh, to talk about a difficult topic. The title of, the title of this night's uh, presentation is Catholic and LGBT. Um, and so I guess this series is sort of supposed to be about things that you might not have thought go together. Or something, something like that. And so... Why do people not think that these things go together? Well, before we start, I want to say something about one of, the, one of the ways that people don't think they go together, and that is the church's teaching on sexual acts. And we're going to get into this in more detail later, but I've always found that it's helpful to start with a little clarification. So, and that clar- clarification is about what, it, what the church's teaching is and what it isn't. So... The church's teaching is about sexual acts, not about people. The church doesn't have a moral teaching about people with same-sex attraction or LGBT people. The church's teaching is about sexual acts. Now, our culture tends to confuse these, these two things. Uh, someone, someone is often referred to as anti-gay if they believe that same-sex sexual acts are immoral. Um, but... Anti-gay sounds rather more like being against a particular group of people, not against a particular kind of behavior. So it's important to to distinguish those two. Now, we also have to distinguish uh, what Catholics say and what the church says. Catholics say many, many different things. Um, Some things Catholics say are very offensive and should be offensive. Uh, Some things Catholics say are true. You never know what a Catholic's going to say, right? So it's important when we talk about what the, Catholic, what, what, what the Catholic faith says, not just to listen to this or that Catholic, but to actually look at what, what the church says. And we're going to talk about that some. Um, so why do they invite me to be here tonight? Why, why me? Is so it because I'm a philosopher? No. Of course, everyone loves talking to philosophers. <laughs> but that's not the reason that I'm here. Um, I'm here because of my history with a group called Courage. How many people have heard of Courage before? Okay, quite a few. Um, So Courage is an apostolate within the Catholic Church, an organization within the Catholic Church, whose purpose is to help and support people with same-sex attraction who want to live chastity, according to the Catholic understanding. So the purpose of Courage is to help people who want to live chastity to do it. Now, just a few things about what courage is not. Okay, Three things. Courage is not a political or a public organization with sort of a public face that makes public statements. Courage is about helping people, generally people that you know, aren't into making a public statement. Number two, courage is not about orientation change. Okay, Now, you see groups that... that, that are trying to, their whole purpose is to change you, whether it's through prayer or through some kind of psychoanalysis. Courage has no opinion on those things, um, but is not involved in them. Uh, Number three, courage is not about being in the closet. So the men and women of courage are not people that deny the fact that they have the sexual attractions they have. They're not people who are sort of terrified of that fact. They're people that recognize it, but want to live chastely. Now, what does it mean to live chastely? I'm going to talk about that a little more later. Um, But uh, the purpose of courage is to help people to live the kind of life that Jesus Christ calls them to live, uh, which is a hard, hard, challenging kind of life, as it is for all of us who are followers, followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, very, it's, it's hard, and Jesus said it. This is a hard message. You know, many people said it in response to, to things that he said. You know, who, who, can, who can actually follow uh, this way of life? So the reason courage exists is to help people. And from my point of view, as a member of the clergy, the existence of courage is a matter of justice. Why? Well, because the church proclaims this teaching of Jesus Christ, this hard teaching. And there would be a hypocrisy in that if the church didn't at the same time give people assistance and support in living out that teaching. So to me, the existence of courage is a simple matter of of natural justice. Now, God brought me to this ministry through a series of events that uh, uh, kind of converged during the time when I first became a Dominican. This was back in 2001. So... When I was in college, I went to um, Caltech as an undergraduate, and when I was there, I was involved in a house that during the time I was there kind of evolved, it was one of the dorms, kind of evolved into the gay dorm. Now, I had a number of friends in the house, and there was a lot of, you know, I'm going to talk a little more about the word gay, but there was a lot of people there that were really just experimenting. Right? These weren't people who were naturally, naturally inclined towards this kind of behavior. There was a lot of sort of promiscuity. And uh, it was very hard for me. I saw a lot of darkness there. And one of those people ended up, when I, when I a couple years later, entered the order, ended up committing suicide. Uh, a person that was not a close friend of mine, but someone that I hung, I hung, I hung out with when I was in college. That made me question, well, what, what, is, God, what is God saying to me through this? Uh, and that was, it was then that I started to seek out courage and to find out, is this a ministry that I could get involved in? And I got involved in it before I was, uh, before I was ordained a priest and as well as since I've been ordained a priest, I've been involved for about 15 years. Uh, so in addition to that, after I became involved with courage, one of my closest friends who remains a very close friend, uh, in the order, it was very funny, I'll call him brother Martin. Brother Martin later left the order for, for different reasons. But uh, I came back from my first Courage meeting to tell him about what a cool thing this was, this ministry that I'd become involved in. And he kind of looked at me and he, and he, he kind of listened very carefully. And he said, Father, or was Brother, Brother Raphael, uh, you know, right? And I said, know what? And he said, about me. And I said, what about you? And then he just kind of looked at me for a minute. And I was like, oh, it sort of dawned on me that this person who was really, who was the close, my closest friend, um, he himself had same-sex attraction um, and, had, and had been living a chaste life. So, and he and I are still close. We just, uh, he lives in a different part of the country, but I just got together with him for dinner when I was out there um, just a few weeks, just a few months ago. So for me, this was just, a kind of sign from God in a way. I took it that way, that God was calling me to this, this, this ministry. Now, I want to say something about language because you may have noticed that I'm using the words same-sex attraction or people who experience same-sex attraction instead of gay. Now, I do this in part because I think the language is more honest and it's less ambiguous. So... What do we mean by gay? Does this gay mean someone who has, is attracted to the same sex? How attracted to the same sex? Does it mean someone who is uh, behaving sexually with people of the same sex, who is sexually active, or who is open to being sexually active? What does it mean? Well, it's not really clear. The men and women of courage typically don't identify as gay and lesbian. They don't deny the attractions that they have. But they prefer to say, I experience same-sex attraction or I have same-sex attractions. Uh, that this is, this is an experience that I have, it's not who I am. Because there's a, there's a difference grammatically as well as semantically in terms of the meaning between saying, I have this experience and saying, I am this. Right? I am gay, I have same-sex attraction. Part of it is, it is, it's based on the idea of what we call person-centered language, okay, which you find also with people with disabilities. Now, we used to say handicapped people, right? Or disabled people. The preferred way to speak about this is to say people with disabilities, because it puts the person first. It says, this is a person just like the rest of us who has a disability, or who has this about them. This is a person who experiences same-sex attraction. So that's the reason for the language, and that's the language that I'm used to, to using. Um, the, uh, it's, I prefer it myself also because it's not reductionist. It doesn't reduce the person to their sexual attractions uh, or somehow define the person in terms of their sexual attractions. So I want to say a little bit about the experience of people in courage and why people come to courage, why they seek it out. So within the Catholic Church a person who experiences same-sex attraction and wants to live faithful to the teaching of the church uh, is in a a difficult predicament. They often find themselves uh, being rejected in a way from sort of both ends of the spectrum. So on the one end, you'll find people who genuinely think that a person with those attractions is unclean. Like, this is something that makes you bad. And this is not the teaching of the church. And in fact, uh, the teaching of the church is, and, and this is really important to say, feelings are never sins. Let me say that again. Feelings are never sins. Whenever I say this, I always have someone say, well, what kind of feelings are you talking about? I'm talking about all feelings. Physical feelings, emotional feelings, feelings of attraction, whatever kinds of feelings are not sin not only are they not sin, but they're not even the kind of thing that could be a sin. What do I mean by that? Well, so the sky is not red. But the sky is the kind of thing that could be red. Okay? The economy is not the kind of thing that could be red. Okay? So the economy is not red either. But the reason the economy is not red is because it doesn't make any sense to say that the economy is any color. Right? Whereas the sky... Could be red. So feelings are like that. They're not the kind of thing that could be a sin, because sin involves the will. And feelings are just something we experience. Right? You don't, you don't choose your feelings. Sometimes we can do things in order to cause feelings in ourselves, but we can't just close our eyes and say, I want to feel sad. Right? Just we, we can't do it. I want to feel pain. No. We can't make ourselves feel in a particular, particular way. And so a feeling could, would never be the kind of thing that could be a sin. So that has to be clear. Not everyone recognizes that. And there are people, I, I hear all the time from mem, men and women in Courage, that there are people who just because, the, when they find out that, that they have these, these tra- attractions to the same sex, it's like, stay away from me. You know, this is, this, is, this is unacceptable. On the other end... People have a more sort of progressive viewpoint. When they find out, we'll just say, oh, that's fine. Why don't you just go and find a partner? Even priests, I'm sad to say, from time to time, will say this to them. And that's a form of rejection to them as well, because they know that that's not right, that that's not what God is calling them to. And so they have no place to go a lot of the time. And so courage, courage is a safe place where people can come together and support one another in living a life, a life of chastity and, indeed, a happy life. It's a place to be accepted unconditionally. So I'm going to take a little break now. And uh, we're very fortunate to have a person here tonight who's a member of Courage here uh, in the local chapter. And uh, he volunteered to give a little bit of his testimony. So I'm going to sit down and invite Anthony to come up.
0: Before I go, can everyone hear me? Okay, I'm not used to using a microphone. (laughs) Um, And tell you the truth, this is the first time that I've actually given my witness publicly. Um, So I have notes to make sure that I stay on topic. (laughs) Um, Before I begin, I would like to say one thing. Um, My my experience of same sex attractions is not this representative of everyone who has them. Um, Experiences really vary a lot. Um, Some people end up going through a bit of a phase, um, while others will experience it for their whole lives. Um, Some will experience attractions exclusively to people of the same sex, while others to varying degrees. For a little background, I grew up in a small town in southern Indiana, um, where most people were Catholic. Um, But my family did not go to Mass. Growing up, I had attractions to the other boys, starting from a very early age. But I felt like I could not share these attractions with anyone, not even family. Uh, I just had to hide them, and basically out of the fear of being shunned or just standing out. I remember in high school there was a boy who was two or three years older than me, um, who was out, and he would almost weekly just be drilled with jokes and made fun of. Um, and this made me want to hide the attractions even more, because I, I didn't want this for myself. Um, <laughs> I looked up to him for his courage, um, and at the time I didn't see anything wrong. My friends at the time would actually join in on this, and when they would make fun of them, I would always think they were talking about me, um, especially when they used the word gay as a derogatory t- statement. I rarely ever felt like I truly ever fit in during school. Um, during junior and senior year of high school, um, I started getting involved with Teens Encounter Christ. Um, it's like a retreat for teenagers, high schoolers. Um, and the people there really fascinated me. They were like family, and I wanted this for myself. So because of tech, when I went off to college at Ball State for my freshman year, I decided to find where the Catholic Church was. When I went to visit, I was welcomed by one of the priests who ended up giving me a tour, um, and one of the focus missionaries there got some of my contact information. I was welcomed by all of the, basically all of the students at the Newman Center, um, especially one who led a Bible study I started going to. Um, his name was David. You see, any time I would join the, the other students at the Newman Center, and I would walk into the room, he would literally yell out my name. (laughs) During my freshman year, my friends at the Newman Center became like family to me, and many of them still are. They were always there to help me, and just being there to talk, although I was not willing to share my attractions with them because I didn't know what they would think or if they would reject me. To tell you the truth, I didn't even share these attractions in confession because of my worry of what the priest would say. But through living out the the faith, these friends started to rub off on me. I came to the conviction that I had to follow Jesus in his church. Though, to tell you the truth, I can't put a point on when or where I made this decision. It was a a really drawn-out process. But the same-sex attractions didn't really make that big of a difference to me um, because I understood that everyone was called to live a chaste life. Near the end of the semester, David ended up asking me if I wanted to start leading my own Bible study. And with this, he would start mentoring me. After Christmas break, um, I told David yes, and we got down to business. David helped me learn so much about the faith and to grow in the virtue of chastity. Chastity was hard for me, um, and I would end up getting fed up and just asking God to take away all of my sexual attractions. God would end up answering my prayers by giving me the grace to live out a chaste life, especially with the amazing community that I was blessed to be a part of. By living a chaste life, I found the church, I found the beauty in the church's teaching and a joy and fulfillment that I did not have before Over the next year to a year and a half these friendships grew and I continued to learn about the faith When I finally started to share these attractions in confession the priest didn't treat me any differently But I was still not willing to share my struggles with anyone outside of confession or someone who was not a priest. The next year, when I lived at the men's missionary house, I started to reach a place where at one point I was just laying on the couch, staring out the window, crying, because I felt so alone. Why would God allow me to have these attractions? If I told even my my, t- my best friends, I thought they would reject me. As time went on, I came to know that the Catholic Church did not hate me, and that I belonged in the Church. But it would take a couple of bouts of depression and anxiety to actually be willing to share these struggles with anyone who is not a priest. The first of these people was an older lady that I met at St. Anthony's in Angola, Indiana, the summer before my senior year. She helped me so much that summer because during that that time I was going through a very severe bout of depression and anxiety. When I told her, I was met with love. Our conversation went to what I would do with these attractions and how they interacted with our Catholic faith. I was moved by this conversation. There was no judgment or condemnation, only the simple act of love that asked what I needed in the moment and the concern to be able to listen. During my last semester at Ball State, I still did not share these attractions with my friends, but I did talk to the campus minister, Sarah, you know what? I got the exact same reaction. One of love, support, and admiration for being willing to still live out the faith in spite of having these attractions. As I, after I graduated, I continued to very slowly let my close friends know. These were people that the culture said hated me because they took the church's teaching seriously. When I would tell them, I would ask them if they had any questions. And mostly, they said that they didn't. And that this did not change who I was to them. That they still loved me. That they would continue to support me through it. And that they admired my courage for still living out the faith. In this, I found the, the love, respect, and support that I so desperately needed in the church. One of these talks happened at a wedding of a couple of friends. The wedding reception was winding down, and a friend of mine, Richard, and I were talking um, about life and exchanging prayer requests. I asked him to pray for me, because, and I told him that I had same-sex attractions. When I was saying this, I looked into his eyes, and I only saw one thing, compassion. And he only had one question. Do you need a hug? I did. And this moment has stuck with me ever since. It has been a reminder that I have an amazing family in the church. My friends have always been willing to stand beside me for encouragement. And behind me in times of struggle, beside me in times of struggle. I have needed this help a lot through the years. When I have struggled to come to terms with I might be single for the rest of my life and that I might not have children of my own. They have helped encourage me to talk to others who also have same-sex attractions so that they do not have to feel so alone as I did all the years that I isolated this part of my life everyone around me. And they have helped me to come to a deeper understanding of what it means to have these attractions in the light of Christ. They have been, always been with me through it all, through many hours of conversations, especially with those who I have met who also have same-sex attractions because they can understand what I am trying to say even when I don't have the right words to explain it. Without all of these relationships, I do not know where I'd be today or even if I'd be alive. Reflecting on my journey, um, I would just like to give you four things that people have done for me that have helped me the most. One. They watched how they talk about people with same-sex attraction and didn't call things gay as a derogatory term. Two, they never abandoned me because of my attractions. Three, they were always willing to listen and show me that they cared. And fourth and lastly, when I was ready, they were always willing to help and challenge me to grow closer to Christ. I would like to leave you with one, of the th- one last thing, one of the things that have s- stuck with me the most and has affected me the most. It was in a talk given by Father Mike Smits um, that I watched on YouTube. Um, the talk was called Love, Same-Sex Attraction, and Tolerance. Father Mike Smits walked out, walked out on stage, looked down at his notes, looked up, and said, and I'm paraphrasing, I do not like that title. I do not like the word tolerance. Let me explain. To be able to tolerate someone, there has to be someone who is other. There are likely some of you here today who either have or know someone who has same-sex attractions. You are not others. You are one of us. To add to that, you do not have to be accepted, because you belong with us in the church. Thank you for listening.
2: Thanks, Anthony. it's kind of a hard act to follow, really. Um, so I just want to I want to emphasize something that he, that Anthony said that I've experienced a lot, which is that um, over and over I hear that one of the most hurtful things we can do uh, is to tell jokes about people with same sex attraction. And the funny thing is, is that despite how accepting our culture is, uh, you know, it's not cool to tell a racist joke in our culture, right? That's gone, thank God. But it's still okay to joke around about same-sex attraction. And there's a way in which it's even more damaging than racist jokes, because at least when you tell a racist joke, you can often tell if a person of that race is standing right with you. Right? It's the same-sex attraction you can't. And so people live their lives with these jokes, and they have to laugh at them. Right? Because what if they don't? So that's something that's something for all of us to take seriously. Um, and it's a way in which our culture needs to change. And in general, I do think our culture still has an attitude of us and them. Uh, even with the acceptance, it's still us and them. And this is part of, I think, uh, the, the LGBT language, how it, it trains our minds to think about uh, there's these kind of people and those kind of people. And I want to say, I guess I want to say something A little bit about how we got here, because this whole issue has become so divisive. And in fact, it's been divisive for a long time, uh, roughly 150 years. Now, how did our culture come to obsess about this issue? Well, it's because people with same-sex attraction have been marginalized so much throughout history. Well, how did we come to marginalize them? Well, one answer that people give to that question is the Bible. Right? The, Bi- the Bible is what, what has ultimately caused Western culture to marginalize people with same-sex attraction. But what does the Bible say about homosexual people? Actually, this is an interactive question. Does anybody have, have something? Have some, have, what, what, what does the Bible say about homosexual people? What does it actually say? Anybody want to stick their neck out? Yeah? So it's about... Uh, yeah. Well what does it say about homosexual people? Nothing, yeah. <laughs> and, it's not, and, and, and this is a case where it's not, it's not just that the people who wrote the Bible weren't interested in talking about homosexual people. They did not have the concept. They didn't have the concept that there were people are homosexuals. Um, in fact, that concept was invented in the, in the 19th century. And the reason it was invented was to marginalize people who had sex with people, with people of the same sex. Why? Well, in the 19th century with the, with the sort of rationalist movement and the enlightenment, people no longer believed in the old teachings. Uh, now, they, they often believed in the teachings of the Bible, but they didn't believe in the reasoning behind the teachings of the Bible that had always accompanied Christianity. But they still had to have a way to 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 say that these were bad people, and so the concept of a heterosexual was created, and the concept of a homosexual was created in order to be able to say these are the bad the good people and these are the bad people. Okay, this is the this is where the concepts come from historically, and uh, you can find, you can this is not controversial information. You you can. Many people in the LGBT movement who are educated will, would agree with this. So the Bible wasn't the cause of it. It was a cultural phenomenon. And, and what, what happened after that was just that the gay movement in the 20th century uh, took those categories, didn't challenge them, but flipped them around and said, no, you know, we're good too, right? which is true. This is the good thing, really, the thing that, that, that even those of us who, who are, are, are Catholic and committed to the church's teaching should acknowledge that this is something good that has come out of the, of the uh, LGBT movement is getting rid of this idea that there are the good people and the bad people. The problem is it's maintained the two people, two kinds of people. Now, there's an alternate answer. This is, this is the alternate answer to how we got to the place we're at right now. It originated in an attempt to marginalize people with same-sex attraction. Uh, and by the way, I just want to mention that, that even th- the most offensive word, in my opinion, of all these different words we have for people with different sexual attractions, is straight. Okay? The straight people, right? This is a remnant of the, the origins of these categories. The straight people and the crooked people. Okay, if you are someone who don't experience same-sex attraction, don't call yourself straight. Because what are the implications of that word? Uh, we're the, you know we're better with the people who are, who are right, so to speak. The fact is, there is no such thing as heterosexuality or homosexuality. There's just sexuality in all of its different broken forms. The empirical evidence shows that something like 60 to 70% of people experience same-sex attraction at some point in their life. There's a variety, as as Anthony rightly mentioned, there's a variety of different experiences. There are some people who experience one kind of attraction exclusively throughout their life. But there's a lot who experience mixtures and it changes over time. These categories are false. They're created for, for political reasons, uh, not to match the truth. And indeed, people in the LGBT movement, especially these days, now that they've, they've been successful, in, in a sense, in, in gaining acceptance of both people and acts, many people will will, would agree with what I'm saying. Um, that, yes, the, these categories were useful politically, but they don't match the reality of human sexuality, which is far more complicated So this is how our culture got to where it is. But there's another way. And in giving a talk like this, especially to young adults, all of you, or many of you, are probably wondering, what, what's the reasoning behind this teaching? Like, okay, the Catholic Church teaches this, the Bible says these things, why should we believe it? Well, first of all, the fact that the Bible says it, if you're a Christian, is a good reason to believe it. But there's a way in which it's unsatisfying. Why is it unsatisfying? Well, because it seems like there's lots of reasons not to believe it, especially these days, right? And, it's, and, it, it, and you just have to say, well, is this just a rule that God made? No, it's not. And so I want to say a little bit about that um, now. So chastity. Chastity is living your sexuality as God intended. Not just that, but also living your sexuality according to what it is. What is human sexuality? Living human sexuality according to its nature. So we have this... uh, So uh, one thing I want to say, first of all, is that in fact, it makes total sense that our culture is accepting of same-sex sexual acts because the culture has already for a long, long time been accepting of contraception. And the reality is, ultimately, the one leads to the other. If, you're, if, if you accept contraception as moral, there's not really any good reasoning that can get you to excluding same-sex sexual acts. Right? So even though there's been a period... So, by the way, contraception was illegal in this country until 1920. Every Christian denomination condemned contraception up until... 1920, 1930. Just so 10 years after it was made legal for you could actually import it. Not, you couldn't make it here. You can import it. In 1930, the first Christian denomination accepted it as moral within marriage. Within 10 or 15 years, all the others fell into line. Initially, everyone condemned them. This was the Episcopalians that accepted it. Uh, the Anglican Church, actually, in England. Um, but within 10 or 15 years, everyone except the Catholic Church capitulated. Uh, to it Now, and the Catholic Church is the only, the only Christian church, uh, at least in the West, some of the Orthodox also reject contraception, um, but the only, the only Christian church that still stands strong against it. And pretty much we're seen as like this crazy relic, right? And part of this is because we priests don't preach about it, don't talk about it. Uh, but I want to say a few things about it. So the church's teaching on sexuality in general and on these issues in particular, is based on something called natural law reasoning. What is natural law reasoning? Well, it goes something like this. If you want something to flourish, if you want it to do well, treat it according to its nature. Treat it according to the kind of thing that it is. So if you have roses and you want to grow beautiful roses, you pour water on them, you give them sunlight, you prune them, you don't put them in a closet and pour gasoline on them, that kills them. Why? Why? Just because of the nature of a rose. Some things make them flourish. Some things don't. Now, uh, and, uh, you know, I say, <laughs> your, your car, you, you pour gas in your car. You know, you don't pour water in the gas tank. Right? Why? Because the car is going to do well with gas. It's not going to do well if you pour water in or something else. Now, that's the basic idea of natural law. So the question in this case is, what is sex for? What is the nature of sex? And I want to begin just by making a very simple biological observation. Every bodily system, every system in the body, the circulatory system, the nervous system, uh, whatever system, the digestive system, all of them have a purpose, and all of them are able to achieve their purpose. They have the, the parts that they need to achieve their purpose, except the reproductive system. The purpose of the reproductive system is to reproduce. But it can't do that by itself. It's the only system that's like this in the body. It can't achieve its goal without another reproductive system to help it out. So that's that's an interesting insight right off the bat. And I want to suggest to you that if we look at the biology and if we look at the lived experience of human beings that there are two purposes of the sexual act. To draw people together in an intimate union of love and to bring children into the world. Those are the two purposes that are, that are united in this act. Uh, Janet Smith sometimes says, babies and bonding. <laughs> those, those are the two purposes. Now, sometimes uh, when I've given this talk, some people will say, well, that's fine, but there's also a third purpose, right? Pleasure. Isn't pleasure one of the purposes of sex? And this is where this is where I, I want to push back and say, well, clearly sex is pleasurable. Clearly we like it for that reason. That's one of the reasons we like it, right? But is its purpose pleasure? Now, eating is also pleasurable, right? And we do enjoy to eat enjoy eating. But If you make pleasure into the purpose of eating, well, what happens? Pleasure isn't really the purpose of eating. Pleasure pleasure motivates us to eat, right? It's what nature put there to make us do it, just like sex, right? God made sex pleasurable because he wants us to do it. But pleasure, pleasure isn't the goal. That it's after. And that, that's, that's what we're looking at. You know, I mean, the other thing that people will say to me is well, look, sex is a need. It's a basic biological need. Now, this is a place where eating and sex are not the same. Because, look, if you don't eat, you'll, you'll die. Okay? If you don't drink, you'll die. If you don't have sex, you won't die. Trust me on this. So these two purposes are linked, right? They're, they're linked together in one act. And if you think about it, that didn't have to be the case. The thing that brings babies into the world and the thing that brings two people together in love, doesn't, they, they wouldn't have to be the same act that does that. But the reality is, that's the way it is. And so, the, and the unity that, that, that you achieve in the sexual act is a fundamental physical unity. It's a unity of two reproductive systems, right? It's, it's biological, There's there's a real kind of unity that happens. And as Catholics, this is where a little bit of Catholic Catholic teaching comes in. in. We believe that we're physical beings. We're not just souls, right? We're physical beings. And joining two bodies is joining two persons. This is why John Paul II used to say, and this is, I think, a very profound uh, addition to the church's tradition on his part, that the sexual act is the incarnation of the vows of marriage. It's those vowed vows made flesh. In the sexual act, you say with your body, I give myself entirely to you. You say what you, with your body what you say with your words at the altar. What a powerful thing. But what goes with this is that any act... That deliberately cuts off either, either the procreative, the babies, or the unitive side of sex, the bonding. Any act that, any, anything you do to explicitly cut one of those off is wrong. And in particular, with the kinds of things we're talking about here, if it's wrong to intentionally sterilize the sexual act or to engage in a sexual act that is intentionally sterile. What do I mean by that? Well, there's two ways to do that. One is to take an act of sexual intercourse between a man and a woman and by by your action, render it sterile. Contraception, right? Or sterilization. The other is to engage in an act that could never be fertile. An act that's sterile by its very nature. Okay? Now, what kinds of acts are those? Well, it's not too hard to think of what they are, right? Masturbation, oral sex, anal sex, uh, and intercourse with with contraception, intentionally sterilizing it. Notice, there is nothing in this teaching that talks about people of the same sex. It's not a teaching about homosexual people, so to speak. Nor is it even a teaching about the, the genders of the people that are engaged in it. The teaching about the kinds of sexual acts we're talking about. And so the important thing that does not get said enough is that couples who engage in things like oral like anal sex or oral sex, if it's if it's not just as a matter of foreplay, right, but is is an end. This is this these are are morally equivalent to homosexual acts. The same thing, there's the same thing is wrong with them. It's sterilizing something that was meant to be fertile by its nature. Now, of course, there are some objections that people bring up to this immediately are, what about infertile couples? Of course, I always, it's, it's, I always laugh when I hear that objection because you don't need to talk about infertility. You can just talk about old age, right? I mean, everyone becomes infertile eventually. You know? So, so what, what about this? Well, the answer is, you are not sterilizing the sexual act. What's, what's wrong about these other kinds of sexual acts is that you are choo- either choosing to engage in an act that's by its very nature sterile or you're actively sterilizing an otherwise uh, an act that's the kind that would be fertile. And so this is just a, it's a part of nature that you, that you can't control, that this act that's supposed to be fertile eventually, when you get old enough, becomes, becomes sterile. Now, so again, it's important to realize that it's not that every time you have sex, you have to be trying to have a baby. That's not the church's teaching. In fact, the church, as, as probably most of you know, allows for natural family planning, which is a way of using the infertile periods each month um, to postpone having children. Now, if you, have, you need to have a good reason to use it, right? You, the, the important thing is that you can... Uh, we're, called, we're called to give life. And this is the purpose of marriage. It's one, one of the two central purposes of marriages. So you don't want to put off having children for selfish reasons, you know, just so you can get another BMW in the garage or something like that, right? Uh, but if there are good reasons, the church, the church allows for that. So these two, and, and of course these two uh, meanings of the sexual act are also meanings of marriage. And this is, this is also why there can't be same-sex marriage. It's not, it's not that it's a bad idea, it's not for two people of the same sex to be married and this is, this is why the church has opposed It is because it, it becomes a legal fiction it becomes a, a legal blessing of, of, of something that actually can't be now you talk about unions, legal unions or something like that but when you're calling it marriage marriage has these two central purposes uh, and it's, it's simply not possible but this goes for, for opposite sex couples as well by the way so the, the church teaches that, to, uh, that a man and a woman who want to get married, but who plan on not having children. In other words, they're going to try not to have children. Um, their marriage is not a bad marriage. It's not a marriage at all. Um, that's, it's immediate grounds for, in, for the marriage to be annulled. And when, when the church annuls a marriage, it's saying the marriage never existed. So... You know, what's true for one is true for the other. Children are an essential part of marriage and you have to at least intend. You have to intend to be open to children in order to to enter into marriage. So this is the picture that has largely been rejected by our culture. And a lot of people, I think these days, think it would just be crazy to believe what the church teaches on contraception. But let me tell you, if you don't, logically, philosophically, it's not really clear what kind of sexual morality you can actually have. Because once the nature of sex doesn't tell you anything about its morality, once you say that, how can you exclude things like you know, promiscuity? Check. Already in the culture. Adultery? Check. Sadomasochism? Check. Remember that, that movie, Fifty Shades of Grey, that came out a few years back, how popular it was. Multiple marriages, check, that's happening. Polygamy, check, people are already pushing for that. Open marriages, it's becoming common. We already have a word for it, open marriages, right? Bestiality, I'm not expecting it to be held off for too long. But there is no reason to exclude these things if we abandon the idea that the nature of sex matters for its morality. The alternative is to stand with the church and with Jesus Christ uh, with for chastity. Chastity is hard, but it's also life-giving. As, I mean, as we heard in Anthony's talk, and I've heard over and over from, them, from the men and women of courage, that chastity is something that they, they find joy in, even if it's also a great cross. And ultimately, that's what this life is about, right? As Christians, we bear the cross, we bear the cross for the sake of the joy that it brings us in this life, and the joy that it brings us eternally in the next. Thank you. Any questions? Fair game. Thank, thank you both for your uh, your
1: great talk. Um, I've recently read uh, Jim Martin's Building a Bridge or Building Bridges. Um, which I believe comes from a uh, talk to New Ways ministry. Could you maybe articulate uh, a little bit of the difference between what what courage is and what New Ways is?
2: So I don't know. Do you know much about New Ways? I I, I don't know much about it, Uh, and and I haven't read Jim Martin's book. So all I can say is what I've read about it um, in the uh, Amazon ratings online. (laughs) because I was trying to decide if I wanted to read it and decided not to. But, uh, but um, So I can only say that, um, basically. And you can get a decent idea what's in a book from those, right? Because you see people on, especially initially like this, people on both sides, you know, saying, you know, he didn't go far enough, he went too far, whatever, you know, in whatever sense. Uh, my sense is that, that his book was well-intentioned, that the intention of it was to uh, promote understanding and acceptance of people with same-sex attraction. The problem with the book is he didn't tell the other side of the story Like he didn't say, he didn't talk about chastity and about the church's teaching. At least many people complain about that. Again, I haven't read the book. Um, And uh, if that's the case, there's a problem with that because loving—there's loving people uh, doesn't just mean accepting them uh, and being okay with everything about them, right? Because all of us are sinners. Like, if you really care about someone, you want to—you you should want them to be better. You know, there's this this saying that God accepts us just as we are, but He loves us too much to want us to stay just as we are. Um, so that to me would be an omission. I can't speak to New Ways Ministry because I don't. I don't know much about it. Um, yeah.
3: Um, so at our table, we were talking about how there are certain people who, especially the people who feel like they have to hide for a very long time, um, they feel such a weight coming off of them that they're so joyful. And there's even something very different. You can se- you can sense that they feel happier. They're better for letting it out. So I guess the question is, for the people who want to continue with the um, same-sexual lifestyle, or they want to give in to same-sex attractions, or they're open to them, um, how do we talk to people? Should we even... Like, how would you engage with somebody who's like, well, I'm happier now, I'm better now, type person?
2: Well, I mean, I have friends that are in that situation. I have a a close friend who... We've gone apart in some ways, but, um, you know, she... She told me once, look, I was cutting myself before, you know. And, uh, you know, how do you respond to that? <laughs> I don't want her to be cutting herself. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometimes you have one problem and you find a solution to it that is just a smaller problem, right? So the question is, 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 is what is the best solution to the, to the, to the first problem? Um, and, but so that's what I'm saying to you here what I would say to another person is probably nothing, I mean I didn't say anything to her when she said that You know, uh, the first thing we have to do is, is be friends with people and develop a relationship with them, it's only going to be in the context of a relationship that things that are so as sensitive as this could be discussed and even then it's difficult um, so this is something that happens only by the grace of God I think, I mean uh, people, people, people's hearts have to be open and it 's not my job to make people 's hearts open you know it 's god 's job it 's my job to when I, when, I, when I think um, the Lord is calling me to to, to, to say something in, in charity but uh, to be honest um, it 's much more important to love than it is to correct, even though correction can be a part of love uh, but in these in, in these kinds of situations the, I think uh, uh, you would not want to uh, say something that would in, that would, um, in any way, call into doubt that your love for the person. Right. So the love has to be a strong foundation first. This is why. I mean, this is not. It's not like you can do this through street street evangelism. You know, that doesn't doesn't usually work that way.
1: Um, yeah. Thank you for for your talk. A few people may have heard. You know, a few days ago, um, this German cardinal. Um, Reinhard Marx made the statement about um, saying that under certain conditions, um, same-sex couples should, could receive a blessing from the church. Um, so he made a distinction, saying this isn't like marriage. Um, they're not, you know, saying that this certain unions or certain couples should be granted like the sacrament, um, but that something, you know, that they could be blessed in some way. Um, and he made the point of saying that it's um, you can't make some kind of a large blanket statement. It's a very pastoral concern. Um, and so looking at the last few questions on the, um, the questionnaire, I was really struck by, like, how can you um, really respond to people in love in a really particular situation? Knowing kind of the theory and, like, what the church says, but, you know, how to actually put that into action in a way that's loving. Um, but, you know, as, you know, a uh, preacher, as a, a pastor, what, what ways do you think um, that communities can better receive, um, show love... Um, not just individually, but collectively. Yeah, what do I think say? is the answer to that yeah. question? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I won't comment on, on Cardinal Marx's statement other than to say I think it's, 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 it's very ambiguous, and uh, that worries me. Um, but uh, in, in terms of the question, I was hoping you guys would help me with this. <laughs> because I think this is a real issue. It's not just an issue with people with same-sex attraction. It's an issue in general for single people. There's all kinds of reasons that people are single into their 50s or whatever, right? In, in, the par- in our parishes. And a heck of a lot of the stuff in our parishes is about families, right? Rightly so, there's a lot of families, but, you know, there's people also who are single for whatever reason. And how do we accept and welcome them? I mean, I think there needs to be some strategizing on practical ways to do that uh, within parishes. Um, so... I, I, I guess that's, that's the first thing I would say, and I would, love, I would love ideas from people. The problem with singles groups is they usually end up being dating groups. <laughs> right? <laughs> Great, but like, what about just you know, supporting people and being single? Because there are people who are single and who want to stay single for various reasons. Um, so, uh, no, I don't have... Uh, I, I think the first thing is for parishes to be aware that these people are there, not just people with same-sex attraction, but, but people who don't fit into the categories in various ways, of the parish, you know, married, with children, whatever, elderly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you make sense of that and reach out to them with the love of Christ and make them part of the community, make them, um, you know, fully integrated um, in the community? Well,
1: Antipo, yeah. well, Anthony, you kind of, um, you gave a few tips at the end of your, if you yeah a few suggestions at the end of your talk. Are there anything, other things that you've experienced that you didn't include in what you were... Uh, that you think we should hear or ideas that you have?
0: One of the things that I would say um, would be don't lie. Don't tell someone that it's okay. Um, You can, at some points, within certain circumstances and relationships, be quiet um, because the person is not ready. Um, but when it comes to a point where you do have that relationship with the person um, and that relationship is strong enough, don't lie. Um, Because all that's going to do, really, is dig them in deeper. Um, Yeah. And then other than that, as Father Raphael said, just love them as a person. I mean, that's all we're really ever called to do.
4: Well, thank you both. Um, okay. Um, Anthony, I just want to thank you in particular for sharing your story. And I think um, there there are still a lot of people who maybe haven't heard a firsthand experience um, from someone who um, struggles with same-sex attraction. And I think it's really important um, for there to be, yeah, a place where people can can learn and create an environment um, where, that we all want, where people are loved and... Um, treated well. So thank you. Um, I have a question for you, um, father Raphael about contraception. Um, and so I do, I, I appreciated what you say, You said about if you reject the church's, um, teaching on contraception, then where do you draw the line on sexual morality? So I get that and I see the value. Um, I'm where I am still kind of questioning and trying to understand, um, even what the church is teaching um, on contraception with regards to women 's health and and just not even just women 's health for in t- situations like HIV and if um, is it contracept- contraception itself or the intent of contraceiving that is really the evil and if you 're using contraception because you want to have a unitive relationship with your spouse, but you will die if you get pregnant is that is that okay, or what about you 're trying to prevent um, Infection, um, so there's all these p- p- and, and pretty common um, reasons to, to that couples might choose um, to to use contracept- contraception. Um, so I'm just wondering if if, if that is it, yeah, what you think about that since since you since you brought up the topic. Yeah, yeah, Thank absolutely.
2: <laughs> great, great questions, great questions. Um, so there's a few different issues in there. Um, one of them is there, there are some medical uses for the contraception. Contraceptive pills. Now, interestingly, um, contraceptive contraceptive have, have been uh, prescribed medically by gynecologists a lot for a lot of different things, and they're finding that I mean, there's a ton of side effects of them, and a lot of there's a lot of other ways to take care of it because they they screw up a woman's hormones um, in ways that, uh, you know, there are some people saying that absolutely it's never never needed, um, but whether that's the case or not. Suppose it is needed. Um, if you're taking a, contra- a pill that well, was intended for contraception, but you're not taking it as a contraceptive, uh, assuming that you have a good, a real and a legitimate medical reason to take it, uh, that's, that's not. Well, so we have something called the principle of double effect. Okay, the principle of double effect is the idea that it's possible to do something that you know will have a bad side effect, but you're not doing it intending the bad side effect, you're doing it for a greater good that in some sense outweighs that side effect. And in the case of the principle of double effect, depending upon... There's, you have to look at what's going on here, but in this case, all you're doing is taking a pill for medical reasons, and it has this side effect that you don't want that is going to prevent pregnancy. That can be fine. That can be fine. Now, it, be, it, becomes, it becomes difficult when... Uh, so in the case of the person you're talking about who... Actually, there's some medical issue where if they get pregnant, it will be a a danger to their health. Uh, That's a case that where the the intention of using the contraception would actually be contraceptive intention, right? To avoid getting pregnant. And in that case, the 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 hard message would be you need to choose between sex. And and uh, uh, you know, I mean, you can either abstain from sex, or you can take take this this risk. It depends on, on the, 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 the severity of the risk, right? Uh, what you would choose. But I, I don't see a way of, of reconciling. I think that's just a case. And there are cases like this, right? Where the right thing to do is really hard. It's really tough. And this is something that I think we as Catholics have to... We have to hold on to this because it's the message of the martyrs. Right? The message of the martyrs is sometimes the right thing to do is really hard and it's going to cost you a lot. All right. the, thing, the thing about the martyrs to note is that you know, the martyrs are heroes, but they're not heroes because they went over and above what morality required of them. Right? They're heroes because they chose the good in spite of the cost. Right? They chose to do what was right in spite of the cost. So I think that, that, that my, my thought on this would be that, that, that this would be one of those cases. Um, and that's hard
4: so, just to follow up um for in the in the instances of like prevention of HIV would you say like be yeah. a martyr, just be exposed to HIV first if you're well i mean versus
2: yeah or or just or, or, or abstain right that's the other choice so so yeah it's i mean i i don't now to to be to be perfectly fair, I haven't looked into these cases and the details of them, sure. so then that would matter mm-hmm. but um off the top of my head i would tend to say that, that we should be open to the fact that there are cases where one is faced with that choice there could be cases
4: yeah thank you yeah sorry
3: um since you said that you were you're curious sort of um what we yeah. had to say about how parishes could do more outreach please, to people please yes um one thing that was said at our table was just that um so i'm on the planning committee for theology on tap and i had not heard of courage until really we were planning for this talk. And so I think that one of the main things that, that parishes could do or um, other people who might have um, abilities within parishes, even young adults themselves, would be to just spread awareness that, that there is a ministry, that there is an outreach, that they um, are hearing more priests talk about it. I'm sure that it's in, like, a bulletin once in a while, but I think that um, what would help me be able to to, to serve Brothers and sisters of same sex attraction, or to um, feel more comfortable talking about church teaching on it, would just be more awareness of of a ministry like Courage.
2: Absolutely, I think I think that's 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 right. Um, yeah, spread the word if you know people. Now, the reality is, in my experience, because I've done you know I, I've worked as a priest in a parish. My experience is I do a lot of one on one ministry with people with same sex attraction who aren't interested in coming to Courage for one reason or another, right? So. There's, you know, we do need to spread awareness about courage, and it's not known well enough. But I think we also need to recognize that it's not for everyone, and that there there that there need to be other ways for us to welcome people. Um, but absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
5: Uh, so Nikki, a little while ago, had um, a question that uh, um, you also brought up later Anthony in response to Brandon's question in terms of um, how, do we, how do we respond in love to people that uh, we do have strong relationships with people who um, are seriously considering uh, getting into a same sex relationship or who are already in same sex relationships uh, how do we um, if, if we do have that firm foundation established how do we go about Um, having those conversations and loving them in that way. Um, And as I was thinking about that, I was remembering the part of your witness, Anthony, where you were talking about how um, your experiences in college, uh, being part of that community and being loved authentically, uh, kind of, they they didn't know that you had same-sex attraction, but it naturally, their, their witness of the gospel, um, brought you to the conviction that you wanted to live in the church and that you wanted to be in a relationship with Christ and that all of that was attractive. Um, I was just wondering if you could say a little more about that in terms of, like, guidance for us on, on the sequence of things, like what, what to prioritize, what is effective.
0: Okay, as I speak, if I say anything heretical, please stop me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm not too worried, actually, yeah. Okay, um, Okay, so to reiterate, love is first and last. Um, But within love, we cannot deny truth. Um, So once those relationships are there, um, there may come a point where we have to be willing to say, I do not agree with your choice of life, but that's not going to change how I interact with you. If you need someone to talk to, I am going to be there. If you need someone to give you a ride, I am going to be there. If basically anything, any way you can show them love, any way you can celebrate with their successes or be compassionate with them in their suffering, um... Basically, any way, do what you can to love them. Um, to the point that it does not deny truth. Um, so, one talking to other people with same sex attractions, or people, or parents who have same sex attraction, who have children with same sex attraction. Um, one of the topics that often comes up is what do we do if our children want to get married? Um, And while the parents, because they are Catholic, um, and because they do not want to deny the truth, um, don't always go to the weddings. Or they they won't actually celebrate... That moment, But yet every year, at Christmas, at Easter, on birthdays, they send a card with a check, with a check in it. Any way that they can stay in contact, I have known parents who have gone years without talking to their children um, because of this very issue. Um, but yet it's that constant little connection that they can keep. just sending a card, never getting reply just letting their son or daughter know that they love them. Um, yeah, if there's anything else.
2: Um, I guess one thing that I would add is that, uh, I mean, we make a really big deal out of this, but it's not limited to people with same-sex attraction. Like, And this is something actually that bothers the members of Courage, that, the, I have the, in my experience, is that... Uh, you know, everyone talks so, so much about, you know, gay issues and homosexual issues, right? But No one talks about the fact that, like, you know, more than half of the couples that get married in the parish were living together beforehand, right? Who is there to challenge them? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and so we should think about this as not, it's not like sort of these are some kind of special sins, right? They're sexual sins. There's lots of other sexual sins, too, Right? And so I think what Anthony said about you know, loving people in truth should apply across the board to our relationships with people, uh, not in terms of sex alone, but in terms of everything. I mean, people we love, we want to lead towards Christ. Uh.
1: Final question. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank, thank you both for your words tonight. Uh, there's one thing I was uh, reflecting upon, and that was this goes back to when I was in high school there was a uh, youth Bible that was directed mainly towards high school students there was there was a section on the on the in this particular bible in a preface of sorts that was target that was telling telling teenagers about some of the issues in the world, one of them being um, pe- about people with same sex attractions uh, something that really stuck out to me that in that was that ultimately uh, if you, even if you have same sex attractions God still loves you and I think that's something that not, not only should we tell them that but we should also uh, live it ourselves
2: um, do you have anything you want to add to that all I would add is proclaim it from the housetops
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you so much thank
0: you. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Father.